0: This week's soundtracking is brought to you by sleep brand Casper. We all strive for a good night's sleep. We'll let Casper help you achieve this with their outrageously comfortable mattresses, which come straight to you from the manufacturer. Considering you spend a third of your life on one, why not at least try the 100-night trial with free, no hassle returns if you're not happy. Shipping's also free if you are within the UK. Interested? Good, because you, are lovely listeners and subscribers to Soundtracking, will receive a special offer. Get £55 off towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com and using the promo code SOUNDTRACKING at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. Fancy an alternative to traditional banking? Try Tide, the nimble banking service which saves small businesses time and money. Quick mobile setup, automated bookkeeping, and invoice assistant are just some of the appealing features that you can get access to. Sign up for a free account for six months, then it's pay as you go with no monthly fees ever. To take up this offer, just use the promo code SOUNDTRACKING at tide.co forward slash soundtracking. the many directors we featured on the show, few can claim to have served up such a diverse body of work as the fabulous Michael Winterbottom. Michael was one of Britain's most inventive and groundbreaking filmmakers. From his 1995 debut Butterfly Kiss to controversial love story Nine Songs and gritty docudrama Road to Guantanamo, he's constantly experimented with subject matter and form, often to critically acclaimed and award-winning effect. There can be no finer example of his talents than bittersweet comedy The Trip, which starred Steve Coogan and Rob Bryden and was described by Richard Curtis as one of the greatest television programmes of all time. Rather like the trip, his latest project, On the Road, blurs the line between fact and fiction, ostensibly a documentary about a real tour by the band Wolf Alice. The narrative revolves around a relationship between two members of the crew, played by actors Leah Harvey and James McCardo. Though he tends to use source music over score, Michael has worked with composer Michael Nyman on several occasions and it's his cue, Franklin from The Trip, you can hear playing now. more on Mr. Neumann later, as well as music by the Sex Pistols, Richard Strauss, Happy Mondays, Joy Division and the Super Furry Animals. But where else to begin than with On The Road and the inimitable sounds of Ellie, Joff, Theo and Jo. Michael, welcome to Soundtracking. I kind of don't know where to start with you, so I'm going to start with now because this new film is brilliant. It's so many things as well. On the road, which when I first heard about it, I was like, oh, wow, Michael Winterbottom's made a documentary about Wolf Alice on the road. But that's not what it is just. Where did it start? How did it start? It, it
1: started ages ago. We we were in New York showing 24-hour party people. Mm. And then- Wow, so a long time ago. Yeah, long time ago. We, <laughs> and afterwards, like in a bar somewhere, we met up with Ash. Mm-hmm. And they were like, at the time, they were like touring endlessly. And they yeah. were describing their life. And like, so since then we were like, there's an element of that, that sounds incredibly romantic. It's a new city every day, you know, playing to kind of crowds, There's there's very romantic, kind of like, you know, travelling kind of players. And then part of it just sounded like, like unbelievably tiring and hard work, that they sort of seem to never go home. And so we've been talking about, like, various versions of it over the years, since then. And then kind of finally, like, we thought, like, okay, well, we've got a six-month gap, why don't we actually try, try and have a go uh, do the film? So then we looked for a bandley and, and found Wolf
0: dynamics with that band in particular the one girl in there you know um, Ellie's wonderful I love her I think she's a she's a really inspiring character in real life I think as well you've got this wonderful narrative there anyway with their relationships within the band and then being on the road and being with each other then not wanting to be with each other and then you throw in these fictional characters and I wanted to ask how much you gave them, or if you gave them a start point, an end point, or was it scripted, what was it?
1: The idea was really that the whole public side, the whole music side of a tour, we could observe, you know, real band. You know, and a we'll like great bands observing that way. Even the crew, you had know, they the gear in, they're getting the gear out, all the work, all that side of it, we could capture observationally. But I just felt that part of what interested me about the idea of being away and living on a bus and endlessly touring is like what it must be like from a personal point of view. And there's a kind of side of touring the intimate side or the personal side where you're just by yourself where you're making friends or you're making love or whatever obviously i didn't think we were going to get that just by us sitting on the bus with the band and their crew so really it was like not so much that i wanted to have a strong fictional story with the other characters, but i wanted to have a kind of point of view so that the film was located with someone mm. and you could see them in their private in their intimate world so the characters of joe and estelle were there really for that point of view to try and make round out the idea so we could try and capture both aspects of being away and being onto it. <laughs>
2: I'm Estelle from the
3: management. Hello. Ellie,
0: hello. to meet you. Is it all right if I put my bag here? Yeah, no worries, yeah. Have you ever been to Manchester? No. Have you ever been to York? No. Have you ever been to Dublin? Yeah.
2: Have you been to Dublin? No. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Alice!
0: Uh, What's it
1: like to be so wanted everywhere you go?
3: Amazing. <laughs>
1: You actually slept. Have you had a drink tonight?
2: Oh. I'm worried about you not having enough fun. you better sleeping with your head up that side. Why? If it crash and your head's that way, then your head will get smashed in. Huh? You have to nurture friendships, don't yeah. you, and when you're
0: on top?
1: But yeah, I think with all the stuff, you know, because it is kind of observation. It was quite documentary. So we had a rough idea at the beginning, then we saw saw how it went. You know, obviously the nature of the band, the nature of the crew, the nature of the tour that really dictated a lot of the stuff.
2: Yeah. How much has your
3: life changed?
0: Not really. Ever going home? It's the biggest change, I suppose. It's quite hard. What about in terms of when you're capturing the music? How difficult or easy was that? <laughs> well, it's,
1: we shot 16 gigs, I think. So we just kept shooting. The good thing is that Wolfpacks we'll a great band live, so that it might have been a bit of a nightmare in other circumstances. But actually, I, I've never been in that situation, being on tour. So to see them do the same thing each night, yeah, like, how incredibly similar is each night, it's but at the same time. Day. That, yeah, it is. A <laughs> night. I mean, anyway, it wastes like life, isn't it? It's a metaphor for life in a way, because like, everyone's life is repetitive. <laughs> But when you're on a tour bus, you're really aware of the routine. But the fact that it's a different place you stay almost makes you more aware of how similar what you're doing is. Like how much, you know, each night they really put a huge amount of energy into it. And also you get the excitement back of the crowd. We're
3: DJing later at a nightclub and honestly we are the worst DJs you've
2: ever seen so you should come down and have a
1: Because Ellie is such a great lead singer and because she's a woman, the first four or five rows would all be like 14 or 15-year-old girls. Obviously inspired by her, yeah. wanting to be her, feeling that she articulated something about them. It was kind of really kind of empowering, gave the kind of gigs a really nice atmosphere.
0: band because you learn a lot about them and I love those moments as well you know in soundcheck when you're kind of jamming or they're trying to rearrange a song and trying you know I guess get through that monotony of it being the same every night and going can we do it a bit differently I really like the way you do that drum fill or that's a lovely little insight and that was just all you guys just observing on what they would do naturally.
1: Yeah we tried to not interfere with them at all really I mean in ways possibly was we were possibly stood too far back but in a way that, that, that it helped having Uh, Leah who was playing Estelle and and, and James was playing Joe because we could use them in a way. If we wanted to go near to the band, we could have used them. So the idea is that, you know, when Estelle starts, she's just like started out with the management company. She doesn't know them, yeah. So at the beginning, yeah, with with her and seeing the band from the kind of distance she has. Then gradually, she naturally got to know them as the, as the tour went on. Obviously, the longer we were there, the longer she was there. She got to know them yeah. herself, and so we could kind of gradually drift in closer to the band with her. Yeah. There was always like there was always like someone else in the room, so it wasn't as perhaps as kind of like it's quite awkward. I think doing documentary. I, yeah, I do lots of observational films, but not that many documentaries. Mm. There's always that thing of like, you know, you know, for me it feels like I don't want to interfere with them at all, you know, but it can be quite weird if you're just sitting in the corner room for hours on end, not, yeah. not saying or
2: doing, so you know, anything. doing anything. So um, do you guys mind if I, so I'm going to be taking pictures of the
0: sound check and possibly the show for like behind the scenes stuff. Is oh. that right, yeah? Yeah, so. that. Yeah.
2: Dun, dun, dun,
3: dun, dun, dun. I really, I think it'd be such a good show. Oh, that's cool, yeah. Maybe without that dun dun. It makes it a bit like Brian Jonesy. So uh, you have to give me a second to plug in and be like,
0: yeah.
3: I trickle it in.
0: no need for any additional music. You know, you have the background music on whether it's what the crew are listening to or... A little bit kind of, of
1: that. Into. There's a little bit a little bit of stuff from the sound So We used quite a bit of stuff that, especially Geoff, the guitarist, was messing around with the sound But so that was all from the stuff that they were doing naturally. Yeah. But no, we to, there's quite a lot of full music in it. Felt that <laughs> <Funnily> enough. <laughs> <laughs> so there's no soundtrack. Really. No. Just go, go with your podcast. There's no soundtrack but it's fine. I mean, from the... Uh, yeah, from, from the, the band.
0: a lot of soundtrack material to talk about from various other films as well. Can we talk about 24-Hour Party People, please? Yeah. Which you mentioned at the start. Um, 24-Hour Party People was just phenomenal. And when you're thinking about the music and how the music's represented in that film, I imagine it was quite a tricky part of it. Because obviously the bands are the narrative, and how did you the, start with that?
1: I think the starting point, we thought we'd do a kind of whole sort of family tree of Manchester music. We thought we'd get more different bands in than we did in the end. Because, you know, the starting point was like, Factory Records and Tony Wilson. And so you have one song, which is all the stuff, music that Tony put on before he kind of really got going with his own bands. So obviously there was like a whole ton of punk music that Tony was the first person to put on telly. So that was all great. And we had a lot of recreation on that.
3: 1976. The Sex Pistols play Manchester for the very first time. There are only 42 people in the audience, but every single one of them is feeding on a power, an energy and a magic. Inspired, they will go out and perform wondrous deeds. For instance, Howard Devoto at the front, Pete Shelley at the back, they organise this gig. They're way ahead of everyone in Manchester, they're already the Buzzcocks. (laughs) Howard later sleeps with my wife. Behind me are Stiff Kittens, soon to become Warsaw, later to become Joy Division, finally to become New Order. England,
2: Ginger
3: Nut, Mick Hucknell That's John the Postman, he's a postman.
1: But then originally we had far more bands beyond that point. But in the end, it, it, it did sort of, you know, there's just a lack of space, it generally lack of space. I think Morrissey actually refused to let us use his music, so he was a character. Of course that, he did. He was a character in the film, but <laughs> we had to cut him out because he wouldn't let us use his music. And we shot all that and then t- took it out afterwards. But in the end, because Tony's character was the main character, it ended up being, in a way, a little bit sort of dominated by Joy Division, The Order, on one hand, and then Happy Mondays, and the sort of second half. And uh, So there's a lot of stuff we would love to cram crammed in that we couldn't quite cram.
0: So even before you started shooting, you had to get that clearance, didn't yeah. you, in terms of what was... Well,
1: with Morrissey, we didn't. Obviously, in general, you would like to get everything sorted out. I can't remember where we left a little bit of the strand in because Tony Wilson had sort of like, he, he mostly like asked him at some point, you know, what he should do to get into the music business, and Tony Wilson told him he would never be successful, he should write a book or whatever. Yeah. So we had that kind of two or three little scenes, but then he just wouldn't let his music it anyway. so <laughs> it good.
3: Tony, you did a good job. Basically, you are right. Sean is the greatest poet since Yeats. This is amazing. Can I have it in writing? It is already written in the sinews of history and the hearts of men. It's a pity you didn't sign the Smiths, but you were right about me, Hutnall. His music's rubbish and he's a ginger. Are you are right, there, Tony? Yeah, I've just seen God. Did you? Yeah. What did he look like? Like me.
1: But then with the bands, the sort of Manchester bands, once we had a script, we sort of got in touch with everyone. So we, we got in touch with all, all, all the people who were mentioned in the script and tried to get their feedback in and tried to persuade them to come in and do little bits. So quite a few of them were in the film, the little cameos, so then, but then others like helped out with gear or would come in and be music advisors. So yeah. it took quite a while, but by the end, well, everyone who was in that story was like cooperating with us and helping us, and were like around on set. That was great because most of the actors were doing it because they loved that music yeah. and they'd been in bands. <laughs> so, you know, bit by bit, as we went along, we got more sort of, we felt more and more kind of relaxed scenario.
0: area. Real collaboration by the sounds of it. Yeah. And yeah. everyone kind yeah. of. Yeah. And there's lots of big characters in that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> in a
1: way, a bit like the opposite extreme for Wolf where Wolf is like really great band, quite hardworking, where it's like. <laughs> That, what was attractive about Factory Records was it's like so chaotic and so mad, and there was a little bit of that knocking around when we did the song. <laughs>
0: Can we talk about the trip? Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, it's so wonderful to watch. It really, really is. Oh, thank and you. such a unique thing and being. And music's quite an interesting thing in that because, dependent on where you are, whether it's Spain or Italy, there's a little bit of kind of local flavour. But also, in terms of what those two decide to sing. I don't really want to know how it's put together because that's the beauty of it, as you have in your mind, it's just happening.
1: On the singing, uh, on the first series, it was pretty much like that. And on the first series, we had an idea that Steve would have his, like, music he got for the journey. And, he, and, he, and so in the, in, the, in the beginning, he puts on Joe Division, I can't exactly remember his atmosphere, yeah. which probably was. He puts Joe Division on because he feels this would be the right music for <laughs> his northern uh, tour, but
3: then he sort of abandons that. Why are we listening to this? That That's why I chose for the soundtrack for This Landscape. It's not expected. You think of that as industrial, of sort of associate that can reasonably normally with an urban landscape.
2: Inside.
1: But we Italy, we kind of thought, well, that would we like the idea. And we, Steve and Robin, you know, naturally do all that stuff. It's mm-hmm. not like we, it wasn't sort of uh, forced. But it just felt a bit, I was a bit nervous that if we just did six, if they just came up with six random things that went along, that we might not be able to clear it. So we sort of swapped the idea around that. And the first one, Steve had his tape. So we had like, Rob's got his, his tape, then it doesn't work or whatever. So then they just have Alanis Marisette banging on the whole time, they do all that. I, mean, I have to say, the and Rob were very resistant to that idea. Were they? <laughs> really. Did they, like, in, <laughs> Did they come up with alternatives? Steve especially was like, I'm not doing that, it's rubbish.
0: Did they come up with alternatives?
1: No. That's why I got my way in the end.
0: Do I stress you out?
3: Yes, you do. My
0: sweater is on backwards and inside
2: out, and you say
3: how, how appropriate. Appropriate. You know, i can see the appeal in a woman like this. Volatile women are always sexy when you first meet them. But two years down the line, you're sort of saying things like, can you just put the lids back on uh, on these jars, I admire you taking a stand against society's mores by wearing your jumper inside out. Yeah. But enough is enough.
2: Exactly.
1: But then, when we were filming, I think most of the singing then was pretty spontaneous on the first one. And we were lucky that we were able to get copyright clearance on it all, because we had songs that can be quite tricky, when, you, when especially if they're not singing exactly the lyrics. So yeah. we had, I think they did like Kate Bush, they did uh, ABBA and so on, and all that was pretty spontaneous.
0: I have this slightly mental memory of interviewing Steve. I think it was for the first trip, actually, where he came into Radio One. And I don't know how I managed to get him to do it, but we did Karaoke, uh, Knowing Me, Knowing You, by ABBA, which is just kind of like one of my life achievements, I think, of kind of getting (laughs) Steve Coogan to do karaoke. I think the
1: ABBA one they did, I can't remember now again which one it was, but the ABBA one they did in the first series, that was one of my favorite ones, because that that came out of a random kind of noise in the the bar, and then they did it once and they did it again, and and they managed to like drag it out for about 10 minutes.
3: You don't want to talk about it? You want to talk about things you've gone through? No, no, though it's hurting me, now it's, it's history. history. I've played
2: all my cards,
3: and that's what you've done too. Nothing, Nothing more, more to say, say. No, no more ace is to play. Tell me, does she kiss like I used, used to kiss, kiss you? I shiver down my arms whenever I that. Thank it. you. Does it feel the same? same? When, when she calls, she calls your, your name, pirate. I was in your arms <laughs> thinking, thinking I belong there. there. Building, building me a fence. Think it makes sense. sense. Building me a, sense, building a fence. Building, <laughs> building me a, a home. Thinking I belong strong there. there. But I was a fool. fool. Playing by the rules. The winner takes it all. The, the winner, winner takes it, it all.
2: all. The winner, the winner takes, takes it all. It all. No, no, the winner the takes it. it all. All.
0: And then when you are thinking about that incidental music of being a reflection of where they are, you know, you have a little kind of bits weaving in and out and stuff. How do you decide on that? Or do you use a music supervisor or...?
1: No, yeah. we just pick stuff. So I mean, I think on the first one, and in Spain, I love Michael Nyman. we've worked with Michael Nyman a lot. Yeah. So the idea, especially on the first one, was that obviously it's the two men being silly competing with each other, they got, you know, gradually a bit of friendship, but all this rivalry. But I kind of felt, you know, there was an element of, like, wanting to have some inner life. It's not all on the surface. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I guess there's that idea in the, in the story that Rob's this happy family man with all the limitations that go along with that, and Steve's this adventure, but he's quite lonely, possibly, inside all that kind of bravado. So, so Nyman was like the slight melancholy yeah. on the top. And now it's not so much about that, it's just that they're getting old. The melancholy is just like they're getting pretty old. <laughs> so we brought Michael Neiman back in Spain. He had quite a bit of Nyman again in Spain. And then I think in Italy we have like quite a Carlos Strauss. I can't remember what it's called now. It's like that sunset sort of song. Again, you know, quite melancholy about the fading of the light. You know, which I think you know, obviously too. Men looking out to see kind of getting older, this no reason why I can in my but also I think it's because the rest of it is quite frivolous, it's quite nice to have so the use the music as a counterpoint to that role yeah emphasising it.
0: The list of stuff that I have here that I want to talk to you about as well. Going back to Butterfly Kiss, it's probably one of the best compilation albums. If you look at all the music that was used in that, is that all you? Usually,
1: we try stuff out in the edit. On Butterfly Kiss, we got a lot, bunch of tracks from the Cranberries as well. That was I think that album hadn't been released, so like someone said, "Do you want to listen to these?" And you know, do you want to use these? And they were great. I mean, they were they're yeah. absolutely brilliant for our characters. And so we used I think three or four from them.
0: Of that, in terms of the Elbow track, for example, it says a lot about emotion for them and for that particular song,
1: you know. Absolutely, I mean, music is much better at dealing with being in love or being out of love than films are. That was kind of like the start point for me was that there's so much music which makes you feel like, you know, reminds you what it's like to be in a relationship or a particular thing. Whereas films, I think, which deal with love stories tend to be really bad at that because they put narrative in, you know, they put too much story in, there's too many mechanical plot twists and so on, and then you have a happy ending. Whereas music tends to be looking back morosely at someone that you've lost but you you loved. And I wanted the film to have that sort of mood. So it was really, yeah, it was definitely exploiting the music to try and get a sense, you know, like that's the sort of feeling that, that. You know, the the film's a guy looking back at someone he was in love with, perhaps she didn't love him, but he was in love with her and he wanted to have that kind of melancholy and romance that music has and that films don't have, I think. (laughs)
0: was it a case of with the bands everyone from Super Forest, Bon Bombondis and Black Rebel Motorcycle Club in terms of deciding on who it would be was that easy that was to just
1: s- people we liked who were playing right. that type. we because we, we filmed it over like maybe five or six months Yeah. so it was just like looking who was around yeah. and then contacting them and checking if they would let us go in so it was just purely personal
0: and real gigs
1: yeah real gigs yeah yeah yeah
0: I think I was actually at a couple of them. <laughs> Brixton Academy. A lot
1: at Brixton. Brixtoner yeah,
0: yeah. is, is one of my, my most regular haunts. Yeah. Um, and, and it's Brixton an amazing. Were, venue. Brixton
1: can be really h- helpful because on this on, on the road it was actually quite complicated getting permission from the venues. The venues were. Well, I we, wondered. We had, to, this. we had to separately get permission from all the venues and. I have to say some of them were not massively helpful which when you think well actually we are with the band and we're talking with the band he's like you know what yeah. the problem but we were lucky in uh, in 9 songs that everyone was pretty relaxed and he yeah. about it
0: which is quite interesting as well with this small venue thing because they're just disappearing, left, right, and centre. So having them, having the opportunity for your venue to be promoted <laughs> no, exactly. in a Michael Winterbottom, you'd think that we go, yep. Where do I sign? So
1: it's like, what could we be doing yeah. that would affect them in a bad way? That kind of side of the business was quite. Clear, but it seemed to have got more complicated than it was even like five, or six years ago.
0: Yeah olympia and dublin so it's olympia. yes yeah. it's an amazing venue. It's a nice venue yeah gorgeous yeah, gorgeous yeah, proper yeah, it, old really. school.
1: it was interesting like one aspect of doing on the road was just like because they are doing exactly the same thing each time but do have these different crowds you know the, the thing that changes really is the crowd and the venue but it, it was quite interesting just the slight different coloring you got from dublin compared to belfast or you know yeah. london or whatever it was sort of not like you could say well match the crowds like this or Liverpool crowds like that but quite radically different atmospheres like and yeah. different so. it's quite hard before you make a film to be really sure what you want the soundtrack to do. Mm-hmm. And obviously soundtracks make a massive impact on the film. And it's easy to have like, okay, this it's this sort of film so we can have this kind of soundtrack. But often then when you get to the edit, for me it's like more fun trying stuff out in the edit. Mm-hmm. And so it makes me nervous about committing to a soundtrack or typing music or to the score or the composer before you really start to work on it. Because when you're in edit, you try out different piece of music, the whole film is transformed each time. And sometimes I think your idea of what it might be you tend to kind of go down for the obvious choice, and it's, it's better to play around later, I think. And with composers as well, like being a composer for a film I think is the hardest job. On a low-budget film, like, sort of we, the thing we do is, like, by the time you've got a cut of the film, it's only like six weeks before you're gonna be mixing it. You got okay, you've got six weeks, got me some brilliant and amazing, and that's very, very hard, I think. So, Often, like you want to wait and ideally sort of try out stuff to get a sense of what's going to work, rather than having some poor person with all the responsibility yeah. on their shoulders is tricky.
0: You mentioned Michael Nyman; who have used a fair a lot, bit, on th- yeah. <laughs> yeah. But not, but, but other people as well, and his daughter as well,
1: yeah, um, yeah, Molly, Molly yeah. Who's who you've
0: worked with and as well, and Melissa, Mrs. Um, Melissa um, as yeah. well, yeah,
1: and uh, and Harry, who works with, Marley, who used to work with Molly. So it's great to work with a composer who is writing specifically to your film. I also like just bringing music in that exists, you know, because obviously it depends what it is. But often that music brings a lot of stuff with it, brings a lot of associations with it. So it's not only working with your film, but it brings you things from outside the film. Yeah, whereas the score, I think works in different ways. And yeah, I think a lot of films require a score to really drive them along and to do a lot of work for the story and work for the emotions. I mean, in general, the sort of films, they do the music a bit more separate. You know, it's, it's doing something different to the film. It's rare that the score is just really to kind of drive the story. It's more like trying to have some counterpoint with what's going on. Yeah. And sometimes that's easier with pre-existing music where you just can cram a lot more yeah. stuff into it. Yeah.
0: You have featured on a previous episode of Soundtrack, and we had the wonderful Matt Whitecross. Right. Uh, and, and he very clearly stated that he owes his career to you
2: yeah, for giving sweet, him it. an
0: opportunity, which was lovely to hear. But, you know, working alongside, you know, someone like Matt earlier on, and it was uh, such a collaboration, he said, and it was just fantastic for him to be able to be given that opportunity. I wanted to talk about Road to Guantanamo, if that's okay, because I love how you mix things up on a film like that, which is part drama, part documentary. When you approach that and you think about music, is it an easy, Thing to think about, especially with the subject matter as well, and thinking about how if music has a place or if it doesn't, or how you think about it.
1: I think on that one, because Harry and Molly did the Road to Guantanamo, and I think that was one where we wanted the score to do the work for the film. Not so much in terms of the story because the, the story is narrated by the three guys who ended up in Guantanamo yeah. but more for the just for the energy because you know it's a to sort of drive the, the the film along really so they were they were they were having to like you know make the you know they, they were having to like write to the picture and keep it moving and uh, you know that it was a it was you know that it was a it was a interesting seemed to, to make i think probably composers got the kind of like the short end the story and, the story and the, it wasn't the, yet, yeah, they had to make, it was quite functional, you know, like, mm-hmm. but, you know, like a lot of you know, great scores, they had to do a lot of work for the film. being in Guantanamo from Tipton was really an interesting part of
0: it. That relationship I guess was the starting point of that.
1: When they came out we contacted uh, their lawyer, So we met them like, I don't know, like three or four weeks after they came out. And they were very shy and then Matt went and spent, well, you know, they t- we said, you know, if you're interested in telling your story, then we- we'd like to help you tell your story. And they thought about it for a while. And then after a couple of months they said, yeah, they were interested in doing it. So Matt went and spent like four weeks in a house somewhere with them, just recording them all yeah. the time, which we didn't use in the film, but as a research. So, so yeah. they told it over a period of three or four weeks. And then we sort of like worked out, yeah, okay, this is the narrative we can tell. And Asif, one of them, was going back to his wedding, which he'd originally gone for, to, was going to go for like, th- th- you know, th- whatever it was, three years before wow. when they got arrested. So he was gone back to Pakistan. So when we filmed it, we had two of them who were with us, with our actors. And then we sort of were able to go back to Asif's village in Pakistan where he got married. So, and then we, to we had to go off to Afghanistan. So Matt then filmed the wedding, which is at the end of the film. So it's it was amazing. a ha- Happy ending.
0: <laughs> um, I could go on for another half hour, but we're running out of time. What's next?
1: I'm not sure. We're supposed to be doing a film, a comedy, which is loosely based on a a sort of retail fashion billionaire who's having a crisis in his business and throws a lavish (laughs) lavish party on a a Mediterranean island where everything goes horribly wrong. But I'm not sure what's happening now,
0: Well, I really hope we get a chance to chat again because there's there's so much more local love we didn't even touch on as well. Um, Michael, thank you so much and congratulations. Thanks so much. Nice to see you. Roar to Road to Guantanamo by Molly Nyman and Harry Escott. That's Three Kings. Rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with Michael Winterbottom. This week brought to you by our friends at Casper's Mattresses and Tide Bank my huge thanks to Michael for taking the time to talk to us on the road is on a general release now and also available on many streaming sites you can find a link to a Spotify playlist for this show by edithbowman.com where we've listed the tracks that feature in the order they appear my website is also the place to subscribe to the podcast but we're also on iTunes if you'd prefer follow us on Facebook Instagram and Twitter we're at Soundtracking UK and do spread the word on your socials if you like what you hear. Next up is a man who has a very strong connection with Michael Winterbottom through his work with Matt Whitecross. Having just directed his first feature film, Breathe, it is the one and only Mr Andy Circus. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then.